If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke chapter 15. Uh, we are in our series, Spoken, where we are talking about how God reveals himself through story. And it's these stories that reveal, that, that give us incredible insight into who God is and what his character is like. Um, last week, we looked at the uh, first half of a story that is probably the most famous of all of the parables that Jesus ever told, and that is the parable of the prodigal son. And today I want to look at the second half of that parable that focuses on the good son, or the older brother. Um, but before we get to that part of the story, <clears throat> I want to revisit, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to revisit why Jesus told this story to begin with. Um, this story is, as we said last week, the third parable in a series of three parables that Jesus tells in response to criticism from the Pharisees for him hanging out with sinners. Um, so let's take a look at the context along with these first two stories, and then we'll jump over to the uh, section on the older, on the older brother. Uh, Luke chapter 15, <clears throat> beginning with verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, what you have to understand about the, the context, this context is that there's two audiences present here um, at the telling of this, this story, these stories. There are people who are far from God... And they know it, right? And, and, but they love Jesus. And then there are the religious elite. And they have spent their whole life um, serving God through strict obedience to the law. But they hated Jesus. So there's this huge collision of radical grace and bureaucratic religion that takes place in the context of Jesus telling these stories. So tax collectors and other notorious sinners, I love that word, it means everybody knew they were a sinner, <laughs> um, often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Verse 3, so Jesus told them this story. Them being who? The Pharisees, right? So even though there's two groups of people here that, that are hearing him, He's directing, Jesus is directing these stories to the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law. They're the ones complaining, and so he told them this story. Verse 4. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call on her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, 
There's joy in the presence of God's angels even when one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. And this is the part of the story we looked at last week. This is the part of the story where this man has two sons, a younger and an older, and the younger of the two sons goes to the father and asks for his share of the inheritance early. He's like, I don't want to wait till you die. I want my share now. And unlike any ordinary father in the Middle East in this time, this father in Jesus' story, who represents our Heavenly Father, gives the money to him. He gives him the money, and then he goes off and squanders it on wild living, it says. And then, after the money was gone, he comes to his senses, and he goes home expecting not to be a son anymore which we talked about that last week, that is kind of a, he made this um, faulty assumption that his, that his sonship was based on his behavior, right? Um, and so he prepares this speech where he says, I'm no longer worthy to be your, sir, your son. Let me be just one of your servants instead, right? But before he could finish his speech, after he finally comes to his father, um, the father interrupts him and speaks to the servants and says, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Now, I have a question for you. What is the common thread... Out of all three of those stories. The common thread in all three stories is something was lost, it was later found, which prompted a celebration. In all three stories, the shepherd, the woman, and the father all wanted to celebrate the finding of that which was found. And Jesus uses these stories to reveal how God celebrates us. Right? Like after the story of the lost sheep, Jesus says, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who never strayed away. And then after the story of the lost coin, Jesus makes the point to say, in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And then in the story of the lost son, the father says, we must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and has returned to life. He was lost and now found. And so the party began. That's the point of these three stories. That out of his infinite love for for sinners, our heavenly father and all of heaven celebrates when even one sinner repents and turns to God. When the lost is found, it's party time. Right? Time, to, time to get your groove on and shake your booty, right? I mean, that's the reason Jesus always hung out with, with, with how to put it, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. That's the reason Jesus hung out with them. Jesus always hung out with sinners to seek and save that which was lost. That's the message he's trying to get across to the Pharisees who are criticizing Jesus for being around such people. It's a message he tried to get around to them, to, to get them to understand over and over again. 
which I think he said best in Luke chapter 5. The Pharisees in Luke 5 are again criticizing Jesus for hanging out with sinners when he went to Matthew's house for dinner. The Pharisees said, why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Now, keeping in mind the context of Jesus telling the stories to begin with, the Pharisees are again criticizing Jesus for hanging out with sinners. So Jesus tells these three stories about how something is lost, but later is found, and it's party time. But in the third story, it begins to take on an interesting twist and focuses on the older brother who, in the story, is a representation of his audience, the Pharisees. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you've told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, notice that he doesn't even acknowledge that he's his own brother. When this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost. But now he is found. So Jesus uses this story like, kind of like a mirror in the face of the Pharisees. And the teachers of the religious law. And one of the things that they were confronted with is their anger. The older brother was angry that his sinner brother was being celebrated. It's just like the Pharisees are always angry at Jesus for hanging out with sinners or such scum, right? The older brother is angry at his sinner brother who's now being celebrated. Why would he be angry? What's there to be angry about? Why is he not happy that his brother is home? Well, when you look at what he says to his father, it sort of becomes apparent that the older brother fell into the trap of comparing himself with his brother. He's like, I stayed and served you while he left and squandered all your money. And I never got a goat to even celebrate with my friends, and he gets the fattened calf, right? Remember, he's the good son. He stayed and worked the family business. He's been diligent. He's been faithful. 
And, and he comes home to discover the younger, younger, irresponsible son who blew his dad's money. He's on the dance floor busting a move with his friends, right? Like he's a hero. And the older son is just livid, right? He's like, all these years I've worked, I've been faithful, and he gets the party? Have I not been faithful to you? Have, have I not been faithfully serving you and you throw him a party? You throw that one a party? He's in there dancing with his friends? See, I think what really bothers the older brother is that he earned his father's love by obeying the rules while his brother was simply loved by grace. And I think that's what the, heart, the hardest part for the Pharisees was. They spent their whole lives serving God through the law. And now Jesus shows up. And he's full of grace. Yes. Even like with the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, right? They expected him to uphold the law in her case. Because she was guilty. She deserved to die. And he let her off the hook. I mean, they'd spent their whole lives observing the law through very strict observance of it. And then Jesus shows up. He claims to be the Son of God, who represents God. He even says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But this Jesus doesn't praise them for their lifetime of diligently obeying the law. He doesn't even acknowledge that they observed the law. And what's worse, he gives grace to sinners? These sinners didn't observe the law, and and Jesus acknowledges them, he loves them, and even says that they're forgiven? So it's not too hard to see why the Pharisees would be so bent out of shape. And that's what's so scandalous about grace. See, grace is great when you're receiving it and you didn't deserve it. It's awesome. But grace is a little harder to swallow when you've worked so hard to earn everything you have with God through religion while the undeserving just gets showered freely with grace. I wonder how many of us, if we had lived our lives as a Pharisee in Jesus' day, would have been just as angry with Jesus when he came. You know, when you, when you read about the Pharisees in Scripture, it's easy to sort of come down on them and say, stupid Pharisees. I mean, it's easy to take sides, right? Because they're against Jesus and we're for Jesus, you know, so... Um, but I'm always amazed at how much the Holy Spirit convicts me for being just like them. It's easy for me to want to revert back to the temple model and sort of earn my way to God because it makes us feel good. It makes us feel like we've accomplished something, right? Um, It's easy to revert... um, it's easy to fall into the trap of, uh, in, into the comparison trap, right? And, and think you're better than somebody else is based on your behavior or whatever. 
But Jesus lovingly leads us back to grace. Because Pharisees need it just as much as sinners do. They failed to recognize that they were just as guilty as breaking the whole law as the worst sinner. Notice that his father's response to his older son. He says, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me. The father's like, oh, okay, I get it. You think it's about, you think it's about um, uh, behavior. You're a little confused. You think it's all about your behavior. But it's not about your behavior. It's all about relationship. He's like, I appreciate the fact that you've always worked for me, but this is about relationship, and you're always with me. Our relationship has never been broken. He says, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. See, it all comes down to this simple truth. That God could not love you more, and nothing you can do can cause him to love you less. But the corollary is this. You will never encounter someone else whom God couldn't love more. And nothing they can do can cause God to love them less. And as a Pharisee who spent his or her whole life working to please God and earn love and earn favor and earn acceptance, that's the part that's hard to swallow, right? But the days of having to earn God's love and acceptance and right standing has passed, right? Jesus came and fulfilled the entirety of the law. He filled the commands of the law, he filled the demands of the law, and he gave it all to us. He gave you everything that you could not earn on your own simply by trusting in him, by placing our faith in him. You have right standing with God. You have eternal life. You have acceptance. And you have all the love of God available to you. That's why God couldn't love you more than he does right now. And you could never do anything to make him love you less. But he also poured that love into your heart for a reason. So you could give it out. He poured the love of God into your heart through the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5 tells us that. So we can give it out to other people. That same unconditional love. Right? I mean, seriously, do you realize that as a follower, follower of Jesus, you have the capacity to love people of this world with the same love that God does? You do. And when God's love characterizes the way we view the world, the way we view people, when God's love characterizes the way we view the world, two things are going to happen. Sin will break our hearts, and repentance will stir our hearts. When God's love characterizes the way we view the world, We quit being angry with sinful people. It's a tragedy that Christians in our day and age are known more for what they're against and who they're against than who they really are for. When we 
when God's love characterizes the way we view the world and view people, we'll quit being angry with sinful people. We'll quit being angry with segments of society who don't follow and adhere to our Judeo-Christian values. We'll quit being angry with people who have different political views than we do. It's hard to be a Pharisee when you see through the love of God. When you view everyone through the God's unconditional love, it's hard to be a Pharisee. But it's easy to be a Pharisee when that love isn't present and you're not willing to extend it. And Jesus says, what lights up your heavenly Father and what lights up heaven is when someone who is not with him turns to him. When someone who is far from him, from him becomes close to him. And that's something that we all need to celebrate. Now, some of you, when you hear this story, you kind of relate to the younger brother, right? Um, and you, you can understand, you know, wanting to run off and live your life the way you want it, the way you want to, right? And if that's you, if you're the younger brother and you're far from God, um, if you have your back towards him, you need to come home. You need to turn to God. Your Heavenly Father wants you with him. And here's what you can know for certainty. That when you do all of heaven is going to celebrate. And we're going to celebrate with you. But there are others of you here who can relate more to the older brother. You grew up in a Christian home. You've spent your whole life going to church. And religion has taught you that you can earn your way to God. Whether it was said to you expressly that way or not, religion just kind of ingrains that in us. But that's the farthest thing from the truth because you can't earn a thing from him. Not, not in the new covenant. Amen. It's all given to us. That way of relating to God was done with when Jesus died on the cross. The way of relating to God, the, the, the way of relating to God is through faith in Jesus who gave us a relationship with God undeservedly. <laughs> we don't have to do a thing. Just trust in him, and it's ours. But at the end of the day, younger brother or older brother, we all need the grace of God. Amen? Let's pray.